This is Dialogue, a podcast series from American Mosaic. I'm John Van Dyke, and I want you to join me on my journey around the country having conversations with complete strangers that I meet along the way. It all started in early 2017. I woke up and realized that I did not recognize my country, and I felt a need to find out who we are today, who are the American people, a dialogue that is necessary today. In this episode, I'm uh, having a conversation with Izel and uh, Jacob. Izel is a uh, black man in uh, Tacoma, Washington. Jacob, uh, a young white man in uh, the north part of the Seattle area. Uh, Jacob has been doing some work with me on my project, uh, doing some editing of video, and uh, Izel was a uh, a friend and actually someone that uh, Jacob had gone to college with. Today, the conversation that everyone uh, is engaged in is uh, race, and uh, this is what this conversation is about. We are talking about race, racism. We're talking uh, a little bit uh, of the history, and we're talking about uh, issues today, and we're talking about uh, protests and the demonstrations. Very much a uh, timely subject, and uh, one that we'll be talking about, I think, for some time going forward. I think this is a great conversation, and it's also a prototype of uh, Project Dialogue, which is, uh, uh, we'll be starting uh, more conversations and uh, maybe some roundtable conversations on subjects uh, that uh, are important to us today. I want to thank you for uh, listening, and I hope you will subscribe if you uh, like this podcast. There will be uh, more conversations uh, similar to this uh, going forward. involved in what's going on right now and very active on media so uh, really looking forward to hearing his point of view here hey how you doing can, can you hear me yeah we can hear you Izel, this is uh, John here Izel, hi good to meet you hi nice to meet you you're all set up now Izel. yep I'm going to just tell you a little bit about uh, this thing I started it almost three years ago and I started uh, trying to figure out who, who are we today as, as a people, as Americans, and what are we thinking? Uh, you know, we all get busy, and uh, we're really not looking up and paying much attention other than what's right in front of us. Anyway, so I started going around the country, having conversations uh, with just strangers. I would just go someplace, and I'd start walking around with my video camera and talk to people. I found some interesting things, and I, I just go, a lot of people have said, well, what have you found? And well, people have different views about things. The one thing I found is almost everybody thinks that we're too divisive today, we're too divided. Yeah. And the fact that we really share an awful lot of commonality, a common, we do really have a lot of common ground. Uh, we just don't choose to necessarily spend a lot of time there, um, and for whatever reasons. So that's the big picture of the project. And a lot of people have a lot of things to say, even if we didn't have the events of the day, because starting um, probably prior to the last big election, uh, a lot of people sort of realized that uh, there was a lot of stuff lying under the surface that we haven't talked about. And and we really need to have a dialogue. We need to start talking now. So Jake was was telling me that um, 
you've uh, been in some of uh, you know some of these some of these rallies and some of these demonstrations, and you've been out there on the street and a little bit, and I'm really interested. In well, I'm, I'm just to be clear. I'm not sure if you've been on the street at all, but I just have really myself seen you very active on media. It seems like you've been doing actual research. So I'm like, yeah, I'm curious to see. I guess, uh, John, maybe it'd be good to start with that conversation. We always tell people it's like just a little highlight of like how you are, where you are now in Seattle. And then um, how do you think we we got here to where we are currently? Do you want to give a little contextual like explanation yeah. of what's going on also as just context of this this particular moment? As Jake mentioned, I really like, it's really good to have a little bit of, um, why are you in Seattle and a little little background, uh, and um, it's always good to know something about the person, um, so, uh, and how you kind of got to where you are right now, and actually, and what are you doing right now? Actually, in uh, Tacoma, I was born in Alaska, but my family moved down here in around uh, uh, 2003 because the housing market was pretty cheap. Um, since I've been in Tacoma, I've gotten to be in about two different school within a school programs. Uh, so in middle school, I had a class of about 80 kids, and they had three grades in there, so six to eighth graders, all in one room with four teachers. And it was uh, centered on team building and on building our communication skills and getting us um, more comfortable with speaking publicly. And then from there, I went to high school and joined uh, the Lincoln Center. And that was also a school within a school that was focused on college preparedness and on getting the students to understand that the society that we're graduating into doesn't necessarily value us for our work. And so it was centered on making sure that we didn't lower the value in ourselves as well. After that, I went to college in Seattle, got my degree in history, political science, and communications, and moved back to Tacoma, started working in the state. I was with the Employment Security Department for about eight months, not very long. Didn't enjoy it there at all. And then I went to DSHS and got tired of telling people I couldn't help them. So, um, Right before COVID started, I left that job and went into photography. I was um, in elementary schools with children, and uh, then the elementary schools closed. So now I'm here. The The way we got to this point from a historical viewpoint would be that our country was set up this way from the start. This was, this was always going to happen as long as we had a two-tiered society. What I mean by that is that our founding fathers didn't necessarily write slavery into the Constitution. However, the, the people who were involved in writing the Constitution did own slaves and did want to make sure that that institution was protected. And so we got things like uh, the House of Representatives, which counted the members based off of uh, you know, population in those states. But the, s- the southern states needed to count their slaves in order to make sure they had enough representat- representation to counter the northern states. So. They counted slaves, uh, about 60% of them. And from there, just looking through history, there are little tidbits like that everywhere that continue this system of oppression, that relegate minorities, people of color, um, particularly black people, but overall Latinos as well, Native Americans, I would say um, some people from East Asia, essentially to uh, a lower position in which our communities don't have resources like we, we don't have community gardens. We, we don't have a lot of mental health institutions here. It's, it's a lot of liquor stores and faulty infrastructure. You know, the schools don't get enough funding. And so the, the situation is that we have people born into these communities who 
aren't given the same opportunity and access to uh, education or things that will really help develop them. And then we put them out into a capitalist market, telling them to compete with people who grew up getting private tutoring and getting private lessons, traveling the world. And there's there's more value in that for employers. So it's it's, it's really relegated us to continuing the cycle of poverty. Yeah, I, it's that that's interesting. Um... I, and I, you know, you're spot on. Uh, we do have a history, um, and I think a lot of people were mistakenly uh, had thought that may, we had made progress. And, and I would say uh, it maybe we thought that uh, uh, during the '60s and towards the end of the '60s that maybe yeah. there ha- maybe there had been some progress. And and I would be one of those because okay, I mean, I'm old enough to go back. To, uh, to to understand the '60s, yeah. and, uh, and and in fact, uh, we really haven't. Um, it maybe looked that way and kind of acted that way, but we don't. I had uh, a conversation uh, with with one of the people on on this project. Uh, someone had said to me that um, basically, uh, you know, racism is not. Again, and the idea that we just had a, a one black president was not going to change anything, and um, we still have we have so much to do, and uh, everything has been uncovered now. And I think the other thing is, if there's anything that's good about uh, maybe uh, this culture of divisiveness has been promoted so much, as a lot of people have become aware of things that they were not previously. And uh, aware in a positive way, uh, more people are aware of uh, the fact that uh, voting is important. Uh, we're uh, more aware of the fact that uh, we're learning maybe to pay attention to our country and, and, um, and the Constitution and a lot of other things. And, and now we're paying an awful lot of attention at this given moment right now uh, to uh, racism and uh, the black community. So, uh, you know, and I've spoken with, uh, you know, Latino, Hispanic people. Uh, their story is, you know, not dissimilar. Uh, you know, different background than how something started, but at the same time, I mean, how, you know, the treatment. So there's so much going on right now. I'm really interested in um, what you think about this moment and um, what you think about uh, what, what can happen, what can we get change? Do you think, is this going to change something? Do you think? I'm optimistic that there will be change, but uh, similarly with the 60s, and the reason why I think the, the racism flew under the radar was that they, they simply just changed the way that racism was operating in the country um, after the 60s. Like they passed the civil rights laws, and so people could no longer be lynched out in the roads, and they couldn't get their votes denied overtly. Um, unless, you know, you're a criminal. And so from there, the attention sort of shift from attacking people on the streets to getting them within the prison system and attacking them there and exploiting them for labor. And so uh, I, I worry that in this moment where we, we're all focused on the police brutality aspect of it, I, I do worry that there will be shifts that we think are taking care of the problem but are really just redirecting the agony somewhere else. And it seems that the way it works in this country, um, the way our, our politics and, and media run, and are and are run by our wealthy almost exclusively, 
there at least are, are widespread media and our widespread politicians are more be almost exclusive to that class. Um, I do worry there's there's not enough reputation for the people on the bottom. And so in the moment, I'm content to be able that they're not shifting resource around again to give us a, a moral win, like like having a black president without really addressing the issues at the court here. Yeah. You mentioned something that makes me think. Uh, there was a uh, conversation I had with a uh, fellow in Detroit in uh, September. Very, very sharp. Uh, I, he was 24, 25. He said to me that um, he didn't think that uh, we have a, a, a racism problem. He thinks that we have a classism problem. And he thinks that uh, classism is, is, is a really, really big problem that we have in this country. Yeah. He also, uh, and this was obviously before COVID, and this is before uh, the events uh, right now in front of us. He he said that uh, what he found, and he went to Detroit, uh, he was there for eight years, moved as a young man. His family moved, and it was from Lansing. And he said to me, it was going from one black kind of environment to a different black environment. And he said it was a culture shock. Okay, and he's a black man going to a different kind of black environment in Detroit is totally black. Okay, and then he said, you know, in Lansing, it was more kind of a mixed and there was more uh, sort of, you know, that that kind of mixed politeness or or whatever that might be or or those normal those normal things that you would find. You know, well, that's their community there and this is ours over here. And. But he was just kind of thrown into, uh, you know, kind of a totally black environment there. And it was very interesting. He found it interesting. But he also was very uh, optimistic about the opportunities there. And that's what kind of what he was doing is trying to, an entrepreneur working on some projects to help rebuild communities in Detroit, which seriously needs some rebuilding. And I can imagine now after COVID and what's going on now that uh, this has probably set much of that back. But... uh, but I thought the classism thing was interesting to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with them largely. I, I do think that, I, I think that economics are the arena in which racism gets to really fully flourish. And that essentially we're, we're using our economic system to relegate people of color specifically to a lower status by typically employing them in fields that just value their manual labor or view them as human stock capital, but not in the fields that really allow them to you know, thrive on their own, like, uh, like in the fields of like being a doctor or being politicians, lawyers, CEOs. Those, those aren't really filled with people of color. Typically, the positions on bottom, the people doing the grunt work are. Yeah. And like I was saying before, um, not having the money and being able to then you know, spread the education to people or, or invest in your own community is helping perpetuate that cycle as well. Yeah. I was going to, there's another, uh, I've talked to uh, a, uh, a black man in uh, Stockton, California. He came out of uh, a, uh, Compton and East San Jose and got out of the hood. And I asked him, I said, well, how did you break out of that cycle? Because he was talking about his background as a kid. And uh, he said that uh, it was it was very difficult to get out of that, 
And he said he had a mentor, and it was interesting. And I've told a couple of people this story, and if you don't understand, it's, they, they're kind of shocked. And I, I tell them about the mentor, and they say, oh, well, that's really nice. You know, he's, he's a little kid, you know, and the mentor, you know, you'd buy him a, a soda and shoot a hoop with him. And, and then he said, well, he was a drug dealer. And but that's but then he said, well, that's life. I mean, that's what that's what you know that's that's what happens in these communities. That's how people yeah. live. It's what they do. But he said, you know, he he was kind of like my father figure, and he get, he showed him some love and showed him some stuff that. Uh, and then he had one other event where um, he said uh, he was with uh, his cousin, and uh, they were doing some bad shit. And you know, I don't know, they stole something, right? You know, it's kind of what kids do. Uh, and uh, anyway, they were running, and uh, his cousin got shot in the back. Police. And then he said, in California anyway, he said, told me, he said, well, he said, uh, I would be responsible or convicted for the shooting because, oh, you're, the accomplice becomes the shooter. And he said to what saved him at the time was uh, all the stuff that was going on with Rodney King. Mm -hmm. And there was so much going on that they didn't want anything. So he kind of got off. He got off with basically a hand slap and he was fortunate. And uh, I think there was a reality check for him and that sort of set him on a new path. And what he's been doing for the last 20 some years is helping youth and that's what he does mm -hmm. to get out of the hood or when they get out of prison to help them get back into society. He also told me, I didn't know anything about this, the uh, prison or the school to prison pipeline. Yep. I didn't know, he said, Google it. He said, and he said, if you don't believe me, just Google it. And he said, my, my seven-year-old, eight-year-old son, the school's got a file on him. You know, and I went there and I said, why aren't you talking to me? And so they build the file. And the file is just so um, they can fill the prisons. Mm -hmm. As you said, it's the labor force. Yeah, it's, it's... Anyway, so that's a reality. A lot of people don't know or don't understand that. They don't understand the difficulty. It's just not that easy. And a lot of people think that is. It's, I, I would advise looking at the the media that black culture is producing, it, sh it should give you some insights into what, what kind of environment they're growing up in. Like for instance, um, the movie 13th on Netflix right now by, uh, directed by Ava DuVernay covers specifically the, the prison system. And her core argument is that slavery never ended. It just got shifted over to the prison population. And it, it just feels like looking at a lot of black media, these arguments have been there for decades. It's just, the audience doesn't extend beyond the black community, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, how does that change? How do, how do we change that? That's, that's a difficult question, unfortunately. You know what I think? I, I don't feel like that's just exclusive to the black community. No. I, I also feel like we're, we're not watching movies from the, um, you know, from the Latinx community or or from the Native American community. Like, no. It's, it's probably not spread to, to have seen Stand By Me with Mr. Escalante or Smoke Signals with Victor. Yeah. I know I had uh, in um, Arizona and Phoenix a conversation with uh, a young Hispanic fellow. And he, he was telling me about um, 
his parents, uh, one of them has become a citizen. He's a citizen because he was born in the country. And his, his problem is, he says, everybody thinks, well, why don't you become a citizen? Why do, and he said, it takes over 10 years and lots of paperwork. It's very, very, very difficult. But somebody, uh, you know, a white person says, well, why don't you just become a citizen? Like, that's an easy thing to do. There's so many hurdles, and you know, in 10 years. And he said it's unbelievable that, yeah. uh, how difficult. Yeah, there's a, there's a problem with advising people to take steps that we're not informed about ourselves. If we're going to encourage people to pursue, I can't talk right now, pursue certain avenues, then we should at least understand what those avenues are. The immigration system is, is long and convoluted expensive. This is one of the things there's, I mean, there's so many things to talk about in, in all of this. Um, it does seem to me that a couple of things, it go, goes back to the classism thing about uh, okay, we have people of a different class or different uh, strata or whatever that are making some decisions or making decisions about immigration when they are not sitting with a table of people who are immigrants that could actually add to the conversation and add to the rules. You know, yeah. um, I think that's specifically because the, the goal of these conversations and the goal of these institutions isn't necessarily to improve the standard of living for the people. Oftentimes, it feels like the main goal is to find profit somewhere. Like, what's the what's the point of our prison system? Like, are we do we have prisons to rehabilitate audition, or are we taking people that we deem as criminal or that don't fit within the the parameters of what we deem acceptable? And we put them in there and make them do labor. It, it really seems that we need to address the reason for why we have these institutions in the first place and then address the problems that are stemming from them. It's interesting. Uh, for me personally, uh, a very long time ago, I, I was working on a project, uh, in, in a work project business, and uh, my business has always been uh, design communication, uh, you know, anyway. Um, so uh, it, during this, I became aware of uh, private prison business. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Now, this was quite some time ago. And I kind of learned a little bit about that. And I thought, oh, that was because being naive or not knowing about the subject, I always thought, well, prisons were run you know, by the government and state. Somehow or another, it was sort of a federal system or whatever. And I never realized that it was a private industry. Yep. And... That, of course, makes sense. And it's an industry uh, that's grown uh, a great deal. And there's a tremendous amount of money in it and made. I mean, it's like being in the hotel business, except that you've got guaranteed customers. Yeah. And, and you don't have to have so many amenities. Uh, and, and actually, the room rate is higher than uh, if you were staying at a really a four-star hotel. So... Uh, it makes perfect sense, uh, and it goes back to this thing again. It's kind of follow the money on a lot of this stuff. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, what's the solution? I have no idea. But maybe talking and that people do understand and get behind something a little bit and get the information like, oh, that's why this is happening. Yeah. And then what can we do? What can we say? What can we do about it? I agree completely with that. We, the reason why a lot of these problems were able to last for so long is because a lot of us don't know about them. And that's definitely the first step to addressing the problem, you know, making sure we're aware that it exists. 
I'm not sure how we'll tackle it once we do have that awareness problem solved, though. Well, that'd be a good first step, though. Yeah. So we need... Yeah, I guess, uh, Isaiah, I was going to ask a question regarding, like, um, again, like the current events. Like, uh, I'm seeing these live streams down in Seattle. Um, my friend actually conveniently lives right above uh, the East Precinct where they're having the riots and stuff. And I'm just curious, like, are you, first of all, are you shocked at this reaction and how many riots that are going on? And also, like, can you tell us a little bit about what you hope to see as a reaction of long term of like like right now we're just seeing riots but like long term what is the game plan or what do you hope to see change in like a police reform or anything no i'm not surprised by this this it seems to happen pretty frequently where there will be a killing in a community of color by a police officer to which the people respond to with protests and the police officers go to the protests sparking violence and so this is the natural outcome personally what i want us to get out of this is legislation we need we need to address we need to fix these laws we need to address things like uh, qualified immunity that gives police officers immunity some of the crimes are committing we like, there are there are things written into the laws that are allowing these these injustices to transpire we need to address those we can't just uh change the people or you know throw fluffy language at things. We need to go through and put in legislation that addresses the problems and alters these institutions. We need to we need to defund the police largely. There's no reason for them to be walking around the streets in military gear. We don't need that gear. We're not a police state, or at least we shouldn't be a police state. Personally, um, I haven't I haven't gone walking just yet. I've just been donating money to like the Minnesota Freedom Front and Seattle Black Lives Matter. I was headed down to the Tacoma one. It was it's pretty small and um, kind of like walked in the nearby area, but didn't join like the full on group. I'm really nervous about COVID and I've already got breathing issues. Aside from legislation, unity would be priority here. It seems like as these protests go along, the message gets slightly lost. Uh, there's, there's been so much debate on the, the looting, the rioting, or on, on uh, this, the, the police's independent actions where I feel like the focus should essentially from the core question here, and that's, do people in this country deserve happy events to each other? Do they deserve to be treated similarly by the institutions here? Do they, do they deserve to have access to an adequate amount of resources? And I think the answer to all those questions are yes. Regardless of what happens with these protests, those answers are yes. We need to make the justice on that. We need to invest in these communities. John, do you have anything uh, you know, else? You know, um, I think that uh, it's, you know, we have a problem, I think, with media. And, and you know, media is part of the problem. And media, um, gets, I think, gets manipulated. Again, it's, 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 it's money. Um, and it's uh, the people in power or the people in charge. But uh, it's also kind of what plays to an audience. An audience always likes to see the bad stuff. They never want to see the good stuff. And I just looked at something earlier this morning. Somebody uh, uh, put up something on a, on a Facebook uh, feed. And uh, it was uh, a little collection of uh, 13, 14 uh, photographs of stuff that things that uh, people had put up. And it was all the good stuff. It was all, it was the police that were taking, taking a knee someplace. It was the police that were um, 
Uh, no, it was the uh, it was the civilians, uh, the, the protesters that were uh, protecting a cop that kind of got set aside. You know, uh, there was um, a uh, it was basically people being people. Just it was humanity. It was human. It wasn't. It was like the right to speak, the right to have a voice, the right to protest, the right to be there. And it was also uh, the fact that the police are going to be there uh, for control, whatever. But it wasn't the conflict part. We always, always, always see that. And it was kind of refreshing to see that not every person in uh, a demonstration is a bad person. Not every policeman is a bad person. And uh, we need to see that, and then we can have discussions and conversation, but we only, we only see the bad stuff. Uh, and that just incites, um, and I'm not, I'm not defending, believe me, I'm not defending uh, anybody who's doing anything bad um, at all. But I'm just saying that was kind of a refreshing thing to see that. And so why don't we see that as a balance? Why don't we see the brutality and then why don't we see that there are good people so we can find a place where we can sit down and talk about things rather than just conflict. I don't know. It's, uh, I hear you. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I do worry, though, that with some of the material coming out of these protests that are favorable to you know, the police or that show unity between the two groups may dilute the message here a bit. But it's not... Not necessarily, because I do hear that there is an argument that all cops are bad. Um, and I, I don't know how central that is to the movement right now. But I, I do think it's important to still remember that even if the people are good themselves, they're still gassing people. And other are still using their batons on peaceful protesters while other police officers aren't reporting them. And so even, even if the individual is good within the system, system overall seems to be perpetrating violence and like there are some cops i have seen during these protests who will stop in the middle of uh, uh pushing the groups back to address one particular cop's action and those ones i think are heroes but i think we, we can't get lost in the the individuals we, we need to say focus largely on the systems at, at large because again they may be nice people but we watch them on the news gas peaceful protesters in front of the White House. And we're, we're seeing them, um, for instance, we have seen a couple repeatedly abuse the media. And if the bad ones are allowed to do that, we're going to lose this country. I agree. I'm, I'm not dis disagreeing at all. I agree with everything you just said. Okay. Uh, yeah, we can't lose sight of the big picture. That's where the focus really has got to be. I think uh, I think this movement has to continue. I, I don't think it yeah. can stop. Uh, I don't think because uh, we have very we have short attention spans. And um, what'll happen if things calm down in a month from now? We'll forget all about it. And in in, legislation. And no, in three months from now uh, or four months, when it's time for the election, a lot of people are going to forget. Or or, or they're going to be uh, or. Uh, they're going to be uh, their attention is going to be brought by something else because we we have a a, a master of uh, deflecting attention to other things. Uh, yes, we do. I guess, like uh, on that point, you could say, like, sure, there might be some like cops that would um, 
do good deeds during this time or like it's not saying that people aren't always you know total jerks to each other and like in you know all this gasping that's happening it's it's not that people can be nice it's that the system still is not changed i guess is what i'm saying like we need a hard change revolution for it to actually because like you just said we could just deflect things back to like oh now there's this other distraction going on though like what happened last time or like i think even joking about it can be very uh very dangerous because like when you start making memes and jokes about this like you know once it's like over then it's mm-hmm. perceived as like it's done but no it's like like I, I really think that we're people are burning down things they're looting they're, they're causing such an uproar because they've said we've tried to peacefully protest we've tried doing like the things they want to see from protesters and nothing's changed yet. So like, I don't know, do you resonate with that, Izel? Yeah. Yeah, a lot, I do. I do. Um, like you said, the civil rights movement was in the 60s and we're still out in the streets today. Yeah, it is still going on. We, we are, uh, we, we just, uh, we, we have uh, different people, different faces, same thing. It's the same. Yeah. And it's, it's not just that looting is just like wild violence or random violence in my opinion. I, and the way I see it, it's it's capital. They're destroying or removing capital. And, and that gets the attention of the capitalists, the people who have the money and the resources to actually make change. That, I, they're, they're able to just ignore what's going on because the looting or the rioting or the, the protests are in a different area of the country or a different area of the city or whatever, then that's not okay. They're the ones with the decision. So it, it, I'm not necessarily offended that the capital is being destroyed. No, I would say something. I want to just jump in on the looting part. Uh, it's it might, I might be wrong on this. Uh, I and by the way, I really dislike uh, what I've seen uh, on on, uh, on the media uh, with the uh, uh, attorney general. Uh, I think it was last evening or something. I saw a clip or something, and uh, he's talking about. Um, they're trying to identify a, a white group uh, because it's totally political on that. Uh, extremists on the on the left that are they're guilty ones, and um, I think it would be better to say that there's people who have come in to to stir up things, and those are people uh, you know that's bought and paid for. I mean, a lot of people aren't going to realize that or even acknowledge that, but that's just a fact, okay? And. Uh, Maybe it's some very quiet money came in around someplace, but somebody influenced these people to go in and cause the damage, to uh, set the fires, to uh, you know break the windows in the cars, set them on flame, uh, break the windows in the stores, and um, we do have a problem um, that's seriously um, we have uh, we have a white supremacist problem going, and it's it's serious. I think it's um, in growing, and and we've had support of that for the last uh, almost four years. That's uh, those people show up, and um, there's people that want to set us against each other. It's their benefit. They're going to benefit, um, and we can't let that happen. Yeah. So this gets very complex. We, this is a very complex thing that's going on right now in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, I think it's important to remember that we, we know who the protesters are. So when they're protesting, that message is its own intended message. The looting that happens afterwards, we don't know if that's linked. We don't know if they're the same people. There are reports that they're white supremacists, largely, or accelerationists, or people just looking to exploit a movement. They're not inherently linked. The messages should not be conflated. And, and I, I want to you know, address something. I'm not to say like I'm promoting looting, but that I, the looting is a good thing. I just also can see that the looting does serve a small purpose here. I prefer it without it, but it's, it's not something that I can just readily condemn. If that makes sense. Um, I understand that. I understand that. I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> I get that. I just wanted to make sure I was clear in that. Um, no, but I... What it goes I, back to history. Yeah, I know. The thing that bothers me, though, is uh, they're just like the bad actors that come in, and, and yeah. they're going to crash the party. And, and, and that's, uh, you know, that goes on anytime, always. It's always gone on. It'll, it'll always go on. But there's been a lot of that. And... Um, then what that does is it takes the media and then immediately all the focus is on that and the message gets lost to why the people are there in the first place. Mm-hmm. You, you know, some store owners too are saying like, like go ahead because this isn't going to hurt us. You know, yeah. like, like yeah, insurance. It, yeah, some people, uh, some of the bigger stores, they have insurance and stuff. So it doesn't, it, it, it uh, bouncing on Izel's point, the the looting itself might not be good, but but the the fact that it sets uh, it, it it promotes the motive and it it causes more uproar to see the hurt that's happening. It, it does, definitely does serve a purpose. I would agree, but it's yeah um, yeah. I don't know. Any more on on that piece of it, or, or like um, I guess we didn't talk about George Floyd, uh, Floyd too much, but. Uh, that is, of course, like if people are watching this video later, we're talking about the uh, events that are happening because of George Floyd with um, the police brutality that we all saw. And I guess, I don't know, what would you say with technology today, Izella, th- this is one of the things we talk about in our videos and w- with John's conversations with people, the technology, um, definitely more viral movements nowadays yeah. versus before. And so kind of, I mean, I saw a lot of people saying that it was it was pretty much like a like a, it was a public lynching pretty much on web and so so I, I don't know what are your thoughts with technology and this and moving forward and also maybe technology would help us with police brutality with maybe mandatory live stream webcams on them or something or I don't know what are your thoughts on on how things are moving uh, progressively with that well look Everyone having access to the internet, or not everyone, I should say, but for it to be common for people to have a camera in their, in their pocket that they can upload live footage onto the internet from is making a huge difference here. Like the police brutality isn't new. The new aspect is that people are able to get it on footage and spread it widely. It's, uh, it's like the Rodney King incident. Like I don't think they used the flip phone back then. That footage was hard to come by. Right now, anyone could be a, could be a photographer or a cameraman. But um, using that moving forward, ah, I'm not sure. I I think the the part of the technology I can't talk. My apologies. The the part that's most beneficial is the added transparency here, because uh, like we've been saying, like people just aren't going to know this stuff by default, and so these this footage is educating people. 
Um, the issue with police having footage on them is that they often turn it off. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I do think, though, we need more footage about what's going on in the prison space, like the public prison spaces, the ones that aren't violating their privacy. We do need more access to that information, see how they're being treated. I do think that's one more area that we need to expand our technology. And not necessarily to make it a surveillance state within the prisons, but more so that we know police are are brutalizing people in there, and we know the inmates are brutalizing each other with little interference from the guards as well. And neither of those can be let to stand. All right, well, we're running uh, about 10.50 now, pretty much. So we'll probably, maybe, John, do you want to tie in one last question? Or, or Izel, did you want to say any other, this is your chance to, you know, use our platform? Only thing I would just uh, go back to is, um, out of all of this, um, I think um, hopefully we can find some answers uh, and put some things in place going forward. And I also want to say that um, I think this is, I'm, I'm very, very encouraged uh, with how this has gone and the turnout and the number of voices. Um, I think that if people keep talking and saying things and voicing their thoughts and what they're thinking and don't stop, then this is going to help something change. I think we've been too quiet for too long. Uh, we and this is just time to uh, to get out and talk, and um, that's the only thing that's going to change it. And then the only other thing is uh, vote, 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 voting, and vote down ballot. That's how vote in your community, vote in your county, your city, vote in your state. Pay attention to things. That's one voice that I'm just going to say. Um, that is so important that a lot of people, I think, maybe are realizing now. And I realize there's challenges and all that stuff, but uh, but vote. Yeah, I agree. If I do get one last thing, then I would think about it for a second. But I would like to point out that if, if you're a capitalist, if the viewers, if, if you are you know, strongly into capitalism, then you too have an incentive to want to fix the situation. Because uh, if, if my understanding of capitalism is correct, then having all these individuals contributing to this system and bringing expertise to it benefits us all because we need there to be innovators. We need there to be people who create things that benefit us all. And we have large segments of the population that that aren't being equipped rightfully to be able to participate in that system due to uh, a lack of education or resources or just preparation in general, or they're being uh, snatched up by the police officers. And that, that doesn't just affect us because of the things that we could produce. Like, uh, for instance, like Alexander Graham Bell made the telephone or uh, Marcus Garvey and his hundreds of midgets with peanuts. There's, there are things that we could be contributing, but we're not able to right now. That's the last question I want to say. Cool. Well, thank you, Isdell, for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. This was great. I appreciate great. it very much. Great conversation. Yeah, it's called uh, American Mosaic. We'll, we'll provide you with some links and his video channel and stuff like that if you want to check it out. Thank you, I do. Well, that's it for uh, this episode. It's a conversation that uh, really doesn't have an end. Uh, Thanks for listening. And again, uh, if you like this podcast series, uh, please subscribe.